Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we try to cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. And I'm Jay McKenzie. Elon Musk is still trying to make the Twitter files happen, with January 6th apologist Michael Schellenberger being the latest clown to climb out of the stenography car. It's starting to resemble a full-on cue drop at this point, which seems to be exactly where Musk is headed with this. Between his outlandish accusations of pedophilia and his attacks on the deep state agents inside of Twitter, will MAGA trust his plan? We'll also be discussing how Tim Pool and the Timcast media empire are playing a crucial role in Yay 24, despite not being a Kanye West supporter. And we'll be covering what appears to be a wave of attacks on electrical substations all across the country, as the latest leaves thousands of people in North Carolina without power for days. We'll try to clear out some of the noise and sort out what's actually going on. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe to the newsletter at didnothingwrongpod.com. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please give us a five-star rating. We have a great show for you today. Let's get right to it. So, Jay, the Twitter files keep rolling on with the cast of characters changing somewhat, but the purpose remains the same. They're all looking for this planned, coordinated plot against right-wingers that doesn't really exist, but they know saying it's happening is usually good enough for their audience anyway. The recent releases have focused a lot on Yoel Roth, the former head of trust and safety at Twitter. They've dumped a bunch of his Slack communications into the public, and they've really turned him into the main character of their evolving drama. It's to the point now where Roth is being accused of being a pedophile, which, as we know, is a common tactic used by 4chan trolls in the Kremlin. It's also eerily similar to what we saw in right-wing disinformation campaigns like Pizzagate and QAnon. What in the world is Elon Musk hoping to accomplish with all this? That's a great question. And maybe he knows the answer. (laughs) I'm not <laughs> I'm I'm not entirely sure. I'm seeing more and more posts about Tesla's being the new MAGA hat and the longer this goes on, it's like it just gets harder and harder to argue against that because he is all in here and he is not stopping and not taking a moment. I think he's dropped to number 2, the second richest man in the world unless he's gone back up, but he's He's got the money that he doesn't have to listen to anyone who might show up and say, uh, you might want to you might want to rein it in a little. You might want to just just chill um, before you destroy Tell that one back just, just a little just bit. Maybe the Q stuff. Maybe if we're using our former employee of being a pedo, like you already had one uh, defamation trial that he had to go through when he called the remember the it was 2018 with oh the divers one of the divers yeah. in thailand that rescued the rescued the, the kid. kids that were stuck in the cave and one of the divers right. and they, he got into a public fight with elon on twitter i didn't follow it too much but i do remember that and a lot of people brought it up on twitter that elon called him a pedo guy and the guy sued him and he ended up settling that, right? He actually it did go to court. Uh unfortunately huh. the the guy who got accused by Elon decided to hire Lynn Wood as one of his Oof. attorneys, which I, I when I saw that I people had shared it on Twitter and I went back and I looked and I thought, is it that that Lynn Wood? <laughs> he was he was going around with Sidney Powell and all in the Kraken, release, release the Kraken, the Kraken yeah. all in with pro Trump and the, the stolen election. And the he ended up pretty much banned from Fox News. And I think even Newsmax stopped having him on because he was just going further and further with it. Yeah, but it was that guy. It was the same Lynn Wood. So I feel like maybe the oh uh, the diver could have picked a better attorney. But in any case, yes, would have had a hard time picking a worse one. Uh, yeah, yeah. So maybe Mike Cernovich. That's the only that's the only one I can think of. <laughs> I just like to remind people that he's an attorney because it's just or was. It's just can you imagine if he's defending you in court? It's like, okay, but I just 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 have him stop talking. He's gonna he's gonna do more damage here than than he can My possibly God, no. help. I, I cannot imagine being defended, if you can call it that, even by 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 Therno. There's just no There's way. There's just no way. But yeah, in any case, Elon 
That was one incident. It was 2018. He called a guy a pedo. It was weird. There's no clear reason for it. Yes, there were kids stuck in a cave and this guy wanted to rescue him and somehow Elon got to pedo. I, I don't know. I, it's odd. But it is, if you take it now in kind of the greater context, you start to think, how long has this guy been reading 4chan? Because this is... Uh, <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. If, if the 2018 thing happened in isolation, you'd say, well... Maybe he was just having a bad day or maybe it's one thing. But now you've got Elon is obviously he's saying he's a Republican. He's saying vote Republican. He's getting defended repeatedly by Kevin McCarthy. And he's taken this MAGA right wing trolling sort of strategy tactic and decided that he's going to make it his own. And so when you do that, when they do that, there there always needs to be, and I, and I think Ben Collins over at NBC News, he said that Fox News needs a main character, a, a, <laughs> a big bad, as it were, that they sort of center their coverage around and who's the one who suppressed yep. the right wingers and who's the one who led the charge to prevent the New York Post story about Hunter Biden getting out to the public. Who do we direct the two minute hate at today? Exactly, exactly. And right now it's Yoel Roth. And when they do that, when they go to this tactic, it kind of always ends up with accusations of pedophilia. And God, I don't understand why why Roth had not deleted some of his tweets 10, 12 years ago. It's not at all that I think any of this is legitimate. It's I have seen how these guys take comments out of context and get people in trouble for it they did this to to james gunn you remember when he got he got mm -hmm. fired and it was all off a campaign of cernovich and posobic and and the whole crew finding these things that he said back in 2009 10 11 uh when twitter was a very different space when people told jokes when it was a lot of it was tweets that were replies to accounts that were suspended or that were deleted and when you want to find something that looks bad, you can find something that looks bad. And and maybe he said some things that were inappropriate. Maybe he shouldn't have. But they go looking for anything they can turn into innuendo. And what's the worst thing that you can be accused of? Well, being a pedophile. Mm -hmm. And it, it's something we've seen a lot. They've They've done it a lot. They also are complete hypocrites about it because they were all supporters of Roy Moore. And when he got accused of pedophilia, they defended him right and left denied it was real denied it was happening bannon tried to smear the accusers that's all public record well and these same guys all put on milo yiannopoulos who actually did an interview where he justified pedophilia in certain cases and now for some reason we just pretend that didn't happen so really they are saving the children when it suits them i guess and in this case they've got a villain that they need to villainize and they put on their bad faith hat and went digging and they found some old tweets and they put it together. Yeah. And, and that's what they do. And mm -hmm. like we've talked about, it's something they started in 2016, really in force with spirit cooking, which became Pizzagate and the shooting at Comet Ping Pong that happened after the, the Pizzagate campaign really gained all that steam. It didn't make them stop. They, of course, denied it. They denied that it was related to the hashtag Pizzagate on Twitter, everything that they've been doing for weeks. Because, mm -hmm. what, well, why is this, this show called Did Nothing Wrong? Because they, they were certain. <laughs> they did nothing they did wrong. Nothing wrong. They, they, don't, they don't seem to care about the consequences or what happens to their victims or targets. And we've seen in this latest Twitter files that this guy named... Michael Schellenberger has has taken the torch. Matt Taibbi has had a couple runs and Barry Weiss has had a her big reveal. But throughout all of it, Yoel Roth, the former head of trust and safety at Twitter, has been and remains the main character. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that they picked Schellenberger for the Twitter files about why Trump got banned. <laughs> He's written some interesting stuff on that, hasn't he? <laughs> Yeah, as I pointed out on, on Twitter, uh, Schellenberger, yeah, it was on January 7th, 2021, so the day after the insurrection in the Capitol, Schellenberger posted, essentially, he tried to blame progressives for January 6th. It was someone else's article, and it was a lengthy piece about how did we get to this point, and how did we get to the point that the Capitol would be breached? But I don't think it was a very honest piece, and I don't think it really... 
wanted to own up that, hey, the right supported Trump and they they allowed him to remain president despite all the scandals. They continued to defend him. They allowed this cult to form around him and they supported it. Mm -hmm. They instead, the article wanted to find other people to blame. And especially one day after it happens, uh, if you're if you're writing that you are not taking responsibility. You are not owning your role in what happened. You may not be out there screaming that, oh, no, these aren't Trump supporters. This is Antifa. But you're essentially doing the same thing. You're both sides again. Exactly. So Schellenberger was was doing this. And mm -hmm. he chose the the one particular quote that essentially said progressivism is what is leading us or what led us to this point. It's the embrace of all these progressive ideas that has forced men to paint their faces. And the QAnon shaman happened because you people are too woke, essentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Which it just isn't, it isn't true and it isn't honest and it isn't what happened. And in addition to that, if he had just pulled the quote, I feel like it's not honest, but maybe he could have kind of weaseled his way out of it. But instead, Schellenberger kept his thread going and ended up suggesting that the QAnon shaman may have been paid. Maybe he was hired for this event. Right. He was an actor. Yeah. Which is, again, like it, so much of this just repeats. Uh, whenever there's a big event that happens, they go look and... They go look and find, okay, how do we attack this person? How do we disavow this person? How do we either, how do we make the left look worse or how do we claim no responsibility here? Right. I mean, you, you saw it with David DePape, the guy who attacked Paul Pelosi. The guy marinates in a steady diet of their propaganda. Then when he gets caught, they disavow him as like a gay prostitute who lived in a hippie commune. So, of course, he couldn't possibly be MAGA. That's what they're going to do to you. Any of y'all who might be on the fence about going along with something like this, <laughs> they're going to disavow you, and they're going to pretend that you're the worst thing they can think of in the moment to call you. It's really, like you said, a pattern that they engage in when this happens. Well, and it's interesting, too, because when Elon bought Twitter and started to take over and there were all these concerns about what is Elon Twitter and Twitter 2.0 going to look like. And he really leaned heavily on Joel Roth. Mm -hmm. He really was, oh, well, actually hate speech is going down and we've got a good team in place and we're, we're making these adjustments. And he really tried to make it seem like he was fighting the good fight and all these accusations of what I'm going to turn Twitter into into this misinformation cesspit. Well, it's untrue. And I look at this, uh, look at this guy that I've kept on, who's really fighting the good fight against hate speech and all these other things. And eventually Roth left because it got to the point where he could not control Elon. He, I mean, he couldn't, right. no one can control Elon. No one can rein him in. And when he starts governing by tweet, essentially, and starts changing things on the fly and starts to misrepresent what is occurring. That's when the people who want to maintain their reputations and credibility jump ship. And, and that's what happened. So he, Roth left. And yes, he's been critical of Elon. He's given interviews with Kara Swisher and various news outlets and made Elon look bad. And he does not like that. And well, Elon doesn't like being criticized and the right needs a main character that they can focus all their hate and energy on and that Fox News can roll clips of. So we see we see a repeat. We see the old tweets being resurfaced and put in the worst possible light. We see the insinuations that he's a pedophile and we just see a complete disavow of of this guy that that elon wanted to use to make himself look legitimate and all this is sort of drawing away from the fact that they just everything they've released sort of points to the idea that human beings at twitter were making moderation decisions about current events that were happening and this is all stuff that was very much unprecedented how do you make these kinds of calls these are human beings that were you know, essentially doing the best they could with extraordinary circumstances. So rather than actually acknowledge that, we've got 
the guy who bought the platform a couple of years later, digging through old emails and Slack chats, trying to essentially do what guys like Therno and Poso do with Twitter. Just let's make this look as bad as possible and sell that narrative. Yeah, except now we've got all the data and the DMs and the mm -hmm. Slack messages and Again, it's selectively leaking them and not providing the con full context of the conversation or and, and especially what they've really done with all of this is downplayed the context of the moment. It's Schellenberger. Mm -hmm. OK, he, he wanted to blame progressives and asked if the QAnon shaman was hired. But beyond that, all of these releases are not mentioning the fact that, hey, what was happening? When yeah. prior to January 6th, when Twitter was looking at labeling all of Trump's tweets and not amplifying accounts that were pushing stop this deal constantly like Dan Bongino and Charlie Kirk, they knew there was a problem. They weren't entirely sure how to deal with all of the disinformation, misinformation floating around. They weren't entirely sure how to deal with a president who lost, who cannot accept that he lost and is lying and convincing millions of people that his lies are the truth because it's the president and he has a fan base yeah who are prepared to swallow pretty much that anything that guy says uncritically they're not going to you know push back on it they're going to say well he's my president they're personally identified with this guy and if he says i didn't lose it was a conspiracy the steal happened then that's good enough for them mm -hmm, absolutely yeah so you've had a release of the Twitter files that was upset about that. And then you have Schellenberger talking about why Trump got banned. And if January 6th gets mentioned or stop the steal and, and all of the concerns that were floating around or just the lies of it all, just how much bullshit is being flung out into the ether by these people, it it barely gets a mention because this is all about the right getting revenge it's finding a way to attack the left it's mm -hmm. it's adversarial politics yeah. at this point yeah it's it's politics as war if you remove all the all the context and all the things that were happening at the time you can absolutely make this look bad you can absolutely make it look like there's some sort of censorship going on but there was an attempted coup and and it they barely even mentioned that if if it's not exactly January 6th trutherism, but it's about as close as you can get. Yeah, this is going to be their origin story. The idea that the election was stolen and that justifies almost anything that happens going forward at this point for these people. So speaking of people who propagated the idea that the election was stolen amongst other really harmful and awful things that they've been responsible for and I know you might find this a little hard to believe that they're still at it, but YouTuber and fake leftist Tim Pool has what he calls a new website attached to his media company. The editor-in-chief of the news site is one Cassandra Fairbanks, a former Bernie supporter turned diehard MAGA operative in 2016. Fairbanks used to write for the Russian state-owned site Sputnik. She also writes for the American junk news site The Gateway Pundit. And she's taken a pretty hard right turn the last few years, including open praise for the Unabomber Ted Kaczynski. Given all of this, maybe we shouldn't be surprised that one of the writers for Timcast, Shane Cashman, published an article last week praising Kanye, or Ye West, and endorsing his run for president. Tim Pool has kind of half-heartedly backed away from Kanye after he walked out of their interview a couple weeks ago, but this guy also has a history of not supporting the things that he actually supports. I mean, we might be seeing a repeat of these same tactics once again. What do you think the goal is here? It's a good question. I, I think initially Kanye doing all these interviews was some, and it's something we've talked about. It's Trump needed someone to run against and the MAGA media sphere, which Temple is absolutely 100% a part of decided to okay well we're gonna have this guy on because he's running against trump and and we we talked about that that interview and and tim tried to keep kanye focused on trump and how he ended up there and what they talked about and kanye wanted to make everything about anti-semitism as as he does these days but 
even even after the interview, Tim kind of backed away from from Kanye and tried to be the reasonable one in the room. But then later on, he he talked about it in his private subscriber only chat and and then they they started selling they were selling merchandise for Kanye in their store right right yeah. the A24 merchandise and then you've got this guy on the Tim Cast quote unquote news section who's essentially defending everything Kanye has done and he honestly he came out and just said he's not anti-semitic which is insane it's just absurd of course he is it's, there's no mm-hmm. there's no reasonable argument to make where you can say the guy's not anti-semitic but tim's website published this and cassandra fairbanks i think you saw that she she shared it um mm-hmm. on her telegram I, it, she probably she did she i know she shared it at least once on twitter she deletes her tweets every couple of days now because she, because that's uh it's gotten her she's in trouble. one of the people like cerno and posa who knows what you can do with that kind of thing and she's not about to have somebody repeat something she might have said yeah don't want to be held accountable for our own words but on telegram mm-hmm. those are those are still up i think and she's she's all in right she's all for it she is she's absolutely all for it she thinks this is great and she's actually really sad apparently kanye released a new song where i don't know if you've heard it but it's let me can i i, I can probably guess what it's about <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know he, I only heard a fragment of it where he talks about the Challenger blowing up and how Michael Moore supposedly said nobody died in that, but Alex Jones got busted for the same thing. And I think the Challenger explosion was 1984. And I'm pretty sure neither Michael Moore nor Alex Jones was doing what they do at this point with that. (laughs) So I think Kanye's really got his timeline a little bit confused. I, I don't even want to speculate what's going on in that guy's brain, but I did I did look and there are a few quotes from the article just to be entirely clear about what Cashman wrote in that that Tim Cast piece. But he he said stuff like to Kanye, I believe in you and I believe a ye presidency is inevitable. You mm-hmm. you have faced rejection and mockery in every industry you've been a part of. And every time you fall out of the good graces of the public eye, you find a way to skyrocket past all the expectations and succeed. I'd love to see you go go back on Timcast IRL and tell everyone else why they should believe in you too. I mean, if you, I can't imagine a more full throated endorsement of the guy. Oh, the guy is a massive Kanye West fan. He he says that in the article. He talks about like how he's been a fan like forever. He's just a huge. He can't even believe he's getting to do this. He didn't tell any of his friends, obviously, because, you know, he doesn't want to hear this right now. But he flew out to L.A. basically on spec to interview Kanye West in the middle of all of this. And it is very much a a puff piece. Yeah. Albeit an unhinged puff piece, uh, but it's yeah. a puff piece. Absolutely. And just to be entirely clear here, he Cashman wrote, People should have learned a long time ago not to write ye off as unstable, mentally ill, racist, white supremacist, or anti-Semitic. So he he denied all of it. He denied that really yeah. Kanye's done anything wrong. Uh, and <laughs> it's not it's not a shock to us anymore. But it is that oh, it is such a Tim Pool thing. Tim Pool pays this guy. When the spotlight was on, when the interview happened and everyone was looking, oh God, why would Tim Pool platform this guy? Why would he why would he talk to Kanye at all? And why is Nick Fuentes and why is Milo there? This is terrible. And then Tim tries to look like the reasonable one and tries to claim that, oh, we were we were holding him accountable. The reason we interviewed him is we had to push back on his anti Semitism. We couldn't we couldn't let him get away with that. He even tried to lecture journalists on how to how to challenge kanye's anti-semitism which is it's just a lie but it's tim pool he doesn't he doesn't believe anything which is which is why he can say all that and then he can talk more favorably on his his private chat and then he can sell the merchandise and then this guy he pays on his quote-unquote news site just forgives it all away 
I don't think this is about a political campaign anymore. I think it's something else. Maybe it's just Tim Pool takes money from anyone and maybe Kanye's paying for this or maybe he maybe he had some pre-contract before the interview and and they're still going through with it. Maybe it's it's all about pushing the Overton window because that's what the quote-unquote campaign for Kanye appears to be now it appears to be about really bringing anti-Semitism from mm-hmm. the shadows into the public sphere. How much can we normalize this? Yeah. How much can we actually, and they have, you start to hear a lot of this stuff a lot more now than you did before Kanye. They have done an amazing amount of normalization just due to the fact that Kanye was willing to stand up and say this stuff in public. And it's frightening. It's bad. Yeah. If you look at the historical precedents here, it's it's pretty clear that anti-Semitism, when it gets worse, it, it never goes away. It's been around thousands of years at this point. It's It's never going to completely go away. But once it gets worse, once it gains steam, it keeps getting worse. And it keeps mm-hmm. gaining steam. And it always ends poorly. And I say that as someone who's very concerned about where this leads, it is certainly not any way, shape or form something we want to happen. But I also think we just have to be realistic about where this has gone before. And there are always going to be people that downplay it and say, Oh, it's, it's not that bad or why are you why are you so concerned or it's it's different now things have changed and i don't buy that nope i don't believe it and i think the fears and concerns and the worries are completely justified and i think this is it's really bad and people like tim pool who he he doesn't care he just doesn't care about anything he's a nihilist i think if there's a more obvious case of fully embracing nihilism on social media, it's temple. And we've seen also that some of these people that are out there pushing this stuff have found a historical precedent for their anti-Semitism in pre-Vatican II tradcath theology, which was, you know, quite anti-Semitic on many levels. And so when these people are out there basically pushing that, they've brought back something that the Catholic Church said, no, this isn't the way, this isn't the way anymore. We're not doing it this way. They've given a lot of people an excuse when they do that. And it's terrifying just how how mainstream they're trying to push this thing now. I think it's worth saying that there are plenty of people in the same sort of sphere who are Jewish. And I think it's worth saying that Jews can still be anti-Semitic. If, if Jews can not be Zionist, and there's quite a few liberal Jews who I know who are not Zionist, but they are proud Jewish people. And I think there are some right-wingers who are Jewish who are okay with at least dog-whistling anti-Semitism. Well, Cashman, the guy who wrote the article, is culturally Jewish. Is he? Yes. He Uh, mentions that. Yeah. It tracks. And I think it's easy for some of these guys to just think, we're done with that. It's over. It happened. It's not going to come back. And... What's the worst that can happen? If they even get that far, I don't even know how much they think about it. But there is a certain section on the right that has just convinced themselves that this is just talk. And they've astroturfed so much of their movement that I think it's easy for them to just see it all as a game. And they say all sorts of things and don't suffer any consequences for it. And I think they've convinced themselves that the right, the left, everything political. It's just a game where people talk and none of this is real. Mm-hmm. It's all pro wrestling. doesn't matter. Exactly. They really buy into that. And I think you do it long enough and I see how it happens. But I think on this one, I think with anti-Semitism, it's really dangerous. It is. And I don't think it's going to end well. And I think the people who keep pushing this stuff and have a devil may care attitude about it need to be called out. And I wish they would stop, but... Mm -hmm. You saw that the Art Institute of Chicago rescinded Kanye's honorary degree, right? I did. That was, uh, you know, talk about bad precedent here. That just, man, omens. Yeah. (sighs) 
Speaking of bad omens, there was an attack on a Duke Energy substation in Moore County, North Carolina, and it gained national attention over concerns that the attack may have been carried out to prevent a local drag show from happening. Given the recent Colorado shooting at the Gay Bar Club Q, tensions were understandably high, but as of yet, no clear link between the drag show and the substation attack exists. In reality, there's very little information that the authorities are sharing. Presumably, investigations are ongoing, but attacks on local power grids have been increasing in recent years and months, as has chatter about possible attacks on platforms favored by right-wing extremists such as Telegram. There was a major substation attack in 2013 in Metcalf, California, that threatened to take out power in Silicon Valley. That case remains open. The authorities have been unable to solve it. What's really going on here, and why are substations such attractive targets for extremists? I think they're convinced that taking out power, in a way, kind of takes us back to the Stone Age, and that people aren't going to know what to do with themselves without power, and that leads to chaos. And to a certain extent, I get that. We are very dependent on our technology, on our phone, how many of us work from home now, and right. how much of our life could keep moving along at the same pace without power. But it, it seems like the increasing frequency is its just really concerning. In 2022 alone, there's there have been... Over a hundred instances of, as NBC News put it, electric emergencies and disturbances caused by vandalism and physical attacks, both right. suspected and confirmed. And I think some of this is just, I think maybe somebody gets drunk and these substations are out in the middle of nowhere and they take they take some pot shots at it. But we're also seeing, like with with Metcalf, as I know you've you've looked into a bit, it it didn't look like just some guys on a, on a joyride. They seem no. to have some sort of training and, and there was some planning involved. Yes. They apparently, and this is according to uh, the wall street journal had a deep dive into Metcalf that I read. It started with AT&T fiber optic telecommunication cables being cut in a way that made them very hard to repair in an underground vault near the substation not far from U.S. Highway 101, just outside South San Jose. Wow. It would have taken more than one person to lift the metal vault cover, said people who visited the site. So right south of San Jose is right south of Silicon Valley, which is where a lot of tech companies obviously have their headquarters. A lot of the Internet infrastructure is located. You take Silicon Valley offline, it's going to put a dent in the communications of a number of people in this country. You're talking about Google going down. You can't yeah. you can't check your no Gmail accounts. You can't do Google searches. Once once Google goes out, once Twitter is down, Facebook is down, you have all these things. The international worldwide disruptions are I don't I I can't really imagine them all. Can you Well and then to make it even spookier, nine minutes after the AT&T lines were cut, some customers of Level Three Communications, which is another big internet backbone provider also lost service because cables in their vault near the Metcalf substation were also cut. So somebody came along and cut fiber optic cables for two of the really big internet backbone providers. Then at 1.31 a.m., a surveillance camera posted along a chain link fence around the substation recorded a streak of light that investigators from Santa Clara County Sheriff's think was a signal from a waved flashlight. It was then followed by the muzzle flash of rifles and sparks from bullets hitting the fence. So somebody was giving somebody else the the go-ahead to start shooting. It's like they were marking their targets and... Mm -hmm. Go. Yeah. yeah. The substation's cameras weren't aimed outside the perimeter because they were only kind of looking for, like, what happens when somebody comes in over the fence. They weren't really expecting to get hit by somebody from the outside. They were aiming at the oil-filled cooling systems. These began to bleed oil but didn't explode as they would have if it had been hit in other areas. The sheriff's department got a 911 call about 10 minutes after the shooting started about gunfire sent by an engineer at a nearby power plant that still had phone service. The transformers leaked 52,000 gallons of oil and then overheated. The first one of them crashed. They got an alarm at that point to PG&E. Five minutes later, another apparent flashlight signal caught on film marked the end of the attack. 
more than 100 shell casings of the sort ejected by AK-47s were later found at the site. So the chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission said that after he heard about the scope of the attack, he flew to California, bringing with him experts from the Joint Warfare Analysis Center in Dahlgren, Virginia. They are a group that puts things like this together for the U.S. military, figures out how this would actually work if you were going to go do it somewhere. So he brought these guys in to reverse engineer what happened here, from the sounds of it. After walking the site with PG&E officials and FBI agents, the military experts said it looked like a professional job. In addition to fingerprint-free shell casings, they pointed out small piles of rocks, which they said could have been left by an advanced scout to tell attackers where to get the best shots. They said it was a targeting package, just like they would do for an attack. So whoever did Metcalf seems like they really knew what they were doing. So the question then becomes, where did they learn how to do what they were doing? Yeah, this is not, certainly not uh, some redneck with a gun. This is not no. even a militia group necessarily, because I, th I think we, a lot of people get the mistaken impression that these militia members, okay, they have a lot of guns and maybe they kind of know how to use them. But even knowing how to fire accurately does not account for marking your spots and knowing where to cut internet cables, mm -hmm. all of this. You're you're dealing. We're talking potentially three groups of people here. Yeah, and we're and we're talking about obviously military training, but maybe even more than that, you might be talking special forces. This is not something that even you you go into the army, they're not going to necessarily mm -hmm. train you to do something like this. So there's a there's a limited number of people who could be capable of this and they may be ex-US military or they could be someone else's military but you don't pick this up on the street no no you would have had to have had somebody that worked in that line of work to tell you where everything was and there was some suspicion on the part of homeland security in 2015 they speculated that maybe it was an insider but in addition to the insider you'd also need the people with the training. Yeah, you could right. you could have an insider who knows where the wires actually go in and out, but marking their spots and the the signals and mm -hmm. there's also a lot of different I mean the substations are huge and they weren't just firing at random locations, they seemed to be picking very specific spots where they could cause a maximum amount of damage. How many people know that and can also make that shot and can also pull all this off quickly enough to get away and not get caught. That's a very small Venn diagram. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's worth saying, like, we don't want to fear monger here. And the, the majority of these attacks are just kind of random. They're not, it's just random acts of vandalism. There aren't, that many cases where it's this coordinated and and some sort of plan went into effect but it is it is something to to be concerned about and and the attack in North Carolina I'm I'm not surprised that they're not sharing much because once anything is out in the public then well the people who don't want to get caught are are going to know what they need to hide or right. what people are looking for it, you you're going to keep that stuff close to your chest but it is, there are a lot of substations and a lot of them are large and it's costly to... Uh, Lock these things down. It's a soft yeah, target. It is. And it shouldn't be. And the thing that is really concerning is that the frequency of these attacks has increased. Since September, there have been not only the North Carolina attack, there were also six intrusions at various power stations in Florida. That was September. October and November, there were four intrusions in Washington State, where I live, and Oregon. Two of those locations have been revealed. There was Clackamas, Oregon, and Woodland, Washington. Neither of these are big cities. Clackamas is about an hour outside of Portland. There honestly isn't much there besides an Army Reserve base. That's about the only thing in Clackamas of any note. Woodland is even smaller. It is outside of Longview, Washington, about hour north of Portland. 
um, hour and a half south of Seattle. And the only thing in Longview and Woodland that seems to be at all on the map is the port of Longview, which is a West Coast port on the Columbia River. Not one of the bigger ports on the West Coast, but it is still a West Coast port. There is a lot of shipping that goes in and out of there. So you look at the stuff that's located around. I saw it pointed out on Twitter that one of the things in the area of North Carolina was Fort Bragg. Mm-hmm. And then in the Florida attacks, they're not too far from McDill Air Force Base as well. So it really makes one wonder what, what's going on here. What, what are these people trying to, to accomplish here? with these attacks. I feel like I should mention this because it, it did pop up to me recently and it's uh Caroline or Bueno on Twitter at RVA Wonk. If you follow right wing extremism on Twitter, you've probably seen her and seen her post, but she she posted something recently kind of expanding on on one specific case and she said this was uh let's see, she posted this on December fourth. She said in in February, several white supremacist accelerationists pleaded guilty to conspiring to attack regional power substations in an effort to cause widespread power outages and civil unrest, which they hope to exploit to start a, a race war. Right. If you look at the indictment, the assistant director of the FBI counterterrorism division, Timothy Langan, said... Quote, the defendants in this case wanted to attack regional power substations and expected the damage would lead to economic distress and civil unrest. These individuals wanted to carry out such a plot because of their adherence to racially or ethnically motivated violent extremist views. When individuals move from espousing particular views to planning or committing acts of violence, the FBI will investigate, so on and so forth. And they they did add here that as part of the conspiracy, each defendant was assigned a substation in a different region of the United States. The plan was to attack the substations or power grids with powerful rifles. The defendants believed their plan would cost the government millions of dollars and cause unrest for Americans in the region. They had conversations about the possibility of the power being out for many months, which could cause war, even a race war, and induce the next Great Depression. Yes. They're not kidding around here. No, they're not. And that tracks with an analysis that the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission did about this. A Federal Energy Regulatory Commission analysis found that if a surprisingly small number of U.S. substations were knocked out at once, that could destabilize the system enough to cause a blackout, which could encompass most of the United States. So they're not entirely blowing smoke here when they get on their extremist forums and say the power grid could be crippled over a large area if three similar substations were stuck simultaneously or within days of each other. I mean, they're basically reading that same report and saying, cool, that's awesome. How do we do that? I think it's that you kind of see them aiming for the stars with this. They, they see, they're mm-hmm. starting to see this losing power is kind of the answer to all of their all of their questions and and how do we get to that end stage moment and they've they seem to just be gravitating towards this because it really hasn't happened and and when something we we know we need power we know we need the internet mm-hmm. we know we need these things in our lives the global economy requires uh, you to be able to communicate internationally in a matter of seconds so we we don't know what it looks like when when that just goes away but they've got some pretty elaborate fantasies. Yes, they do. But the thing is, some of these elaborate fantasies are borne out by... Yeah. So it is it is a real threat, and, and it is clear that the FBI is taking it seriously. God, you don't want to be... An alarmist here, but... Yeah, you don't, you don't want to be an alarmist, but it's also concerning, and it's not clear... I mean, how much money do you have to put into this? How much how much effort is it going to take to harden these targets up? In some way, it's undefensible. You have too many of these stations that are located too far away from major metro areas. You have, they're not generally designed to do much other than keep people out. 
they're not designed to be able to withstand an attack with AK-47s. That's not on the list of things that they planned for when they built all this stuff. And for the longest time, that that was enough. This was just mm-hmm. not a major concern 20, 30 years ago, but here we are. But we've got Dr. Randall Blazak, who is a sociology professor at Portland State, talks about how this was something that has been a goal of various anti-government groups since Oklahoma City, at least, that they've wanted to hit substations like this for years. This is a subplot in their fan fiction for a number of years now, but a lot of those plots in the 1990s were thwarted at the time by the FBI. They broke up a lot of planned attacks on power stations, dams, infrastructure targets like that. They believe that they want to format revolution by creating chaos. They want to burn it all down, and they figure they'll be the ones standing in the aftermath of that. And they'll have the chance to, as you said, put the world together that they want to see. So there's been a lot more of this over the last five or six years. A lot more people buying into this. And there's just not, it's not clear what has changed or it's not clear. Have they learned something new? Is someone? Well, the one thing that does sort of tie all this together is, you know, in the last five or six years, he mentions that exponential growth. Hmm. And the one thing that sort of happened that was really an inflection point for all of this was the Iron March Forum. And the idea that... Where where was that based out of again? Where was that based out of? That's huh. fascinating. Huh. And what did that guy's dad do for a living? Huh. Yeah. It was started by a Russian kid, and it became this international white power, white extremism gathering spot that is responsible. I mean, people who were in there have done Adam Waffen. People who are in there started the base. People who are in there have gone on to all kinds of really awful stuff after that. And if you're looking for a, when did all these people get together and start talking and putting together a, shall we say, sort of manifesto, you could do a whole lot worse than looking at Iron March for that. Yeah. That was active from 2011 to 2017. Yeah. The internet we're so dependent on and they want to essentially Mm -hmm. shut down it's also responsible for them. So it's it's one of those. Since you mentioned, you know, Carolyn Orbueno and her post about that, the indictments do, in that case, allege that two of the guys were members of and made multiple posts on Iron March. Yeah. And I, and I think we look back at a lot of this stuff with a Russian hand behind it. And it's I think I think we always want to caution in terms of how much the Russians direct any of this or in charge of any of this, right. but it it is sort of, well, Russia doesn't mind, right? This is a Russian guy who started this site and maybe he got some help or maybe just nobody stood in his way. It's one of those things like with, with Russian hackers, there are some that work for the government. They, they have a government salary in Russia or China, right? but a lot are, kind of contractors, subcontractors, whatever their version of that. It's it they're not official government employees, but they generally have someone in the government that they answer to or that can reach them. And the general the gist of the relationship is go do what you're going to do but don't do it here. Yeah. Go go plan what you want to plan, go steal what you want to steal, go shut down what you want to shut down. Just just don't do it here. Don't take down our hospitals or our power grids or our banks, whatever it is. It's go make your money somewhere else. If we call on you, if we need you to go after a particular target, we'll let you know. But you you stay on side and we'll let you be. And I think with the extremism, with the the base and Ronaldo Nazario, the head of the base who fled at a certain point, or at least just defected, went into exile, whatever you (laughs) want to call it, in Russia, with Charlie Bosman, who, after participating in January 6th, fled to Russia and hasn't come back. It's, okay, well, you did a thing that we don't really mind if you did, and if you want to come back here, we'll leave you be. You're fine. You're fine. Just 
make sure whatever you're doing from now on, you you clear it with us. And it's like, so the, the prisoner exchange with Brittany Griner and Victor Bout just uh, happened this past week and Griner came home and Bout got sent back to Russia. And then we see news reports that Bout had a uh, picture of Putin in his cell. And we see him giving an interview to Maria Butina, who was a central figure in the Trump-Russia investigations. And and we see Bout saying he wholeheartedly endorses the war in Ukraine. Well, of right. course he does. Of course, he, Putin, Putin just got him out of jail. Putin just sent him <laughs> home. He gets to be free now. Of course he's going to say those things. And whether he believes it or not, and honestly, maybe he does, he's... He is a he is a state asset, um, which is why they wanted him back. And he may go back to work and go back to his old life or maybe not. But in any case, you want us to help you. There's just certain conditions they expect. So something like Iron March, how much was it directed? How much did it just sort of happen? But the Russians just didn't mind. No, they have no reason to mind. This doesn't hurt them. And it might really hurt your opponents. Yeah. And again, the, the number one goal, the, the thing that they want most of all is chaos and infighting and problems and distractions in the West. And yeah, uh, shutting down the power grid seems to rank pretty high on that list. We know mm -hmm. it's something they, they contemplated in, in the cold war. They were prepared. If, if war between the Warsaw pact and NATO happened, they were going to go after infrastructure in the west they they planned some of this out in europe and the u.s so that war didn't come and that didn't happen and so we're not gonna say oh this is related to the cold war or carryover but it's just this is the sort of thing that if they had to do it if if it happens they don't mind no they don't mind at all thanks for listening to the did nothing wrong podcast if you want to hear more you can go to didnothingwrongpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word four, and the letter M, all one word, and Grizza BJJ, G-R-Z-A-B-J-J, as well as DNW Pod. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong. <laughs>